job change. Maybe it was because of persecution. Maybe it was because Jesus said, hey, now that you're one of mine, I need you to leave your home and go tell these people in this city about me. And so we don't know exactly why they did, but they had to go, they had to move. And in the midst of that, there's a little bit of discomfort. There's a suffering that comes through the obedience of Jesus, whether by somebody persecuting you or just following what Jesus says. It's not always going to be comfortable. Even as Jesus, it says, was a homeless man. He didn't have a place to put his head. And eventually, they killed wasn't comfortable for him either. And so Peter's writing to them to encourage them to say, here's what's precious in life. It's Jesus. It's all these are the faith that he's given you. And now he's encouraging us to, to, to keep on, to press on. And so that's where we're at. He's continuing to exhort them uh, about what it is to be a, a Christian. And sometimes in some very hard circumstances, and we see that theme a lot in this book, that these exiles in Christ, that he, he, he encourages them in the midst of suffering, whatever it is they're going through. So today we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, hey, friends that I love, he says, Beloved, I love you. And so since I love you, here's the message that I'm going to tell you. Now, that's, that's a really hard message to tell someone that you love. When, I, when I'm with my kids and I tell them that I love them, the messages that I love to give them are ones of comfort. We're going to have a good time. I mean, I loved when we told them a couple weeks ago, you know what? We're going to go on a little vacation during spring break and get over to Williamsburg. That's good news. That's what you want to share with somebody that you love. It's harder when you love them, but as a result of loving them, you're actually going to tell them news that's going to be hard and difficult. And he says, Beloved, I love you, but don't be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you. Why to test you? As though something strange were happening to you. He says, It's not going to be strange. The more you get into Jesus, the more you're going to understand that there's nothing strange about the struggle that's going to come, about the fiery uh, trials that are going to come your way, and they're going to come and they're going to test you. And the word that's being used there for this fiery trial, now literally some of them were being put to fire. We've talked about this before where some of them were being burnt at stakes in order to light the parties for the emperor. It was bad. It was brutal. But it is all inclusive of all the suffering that was going on. He says you're going to undergo some fiery trials. And the word that he's using there is the very word they would use for smelting. You know what smelting is? It's when they've gone in and they've, 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 they've gone into a mine and they mine out the ore. And, and it's this metal that's kind of trapped within the rocks and stuff. And so in order to get out, they, they heat it up real hot and the, the metals begin to melt out of the ore. It's smelting it. It's melting it. It's a high heat Lots of intensity, and in the midst of that, you get and extract what is meant to be gotten out of there. And he says, you're about to be smelted. Don't be surprised when you're in the midst of the fire and it's coming down on you because you are being smelted as a result of being in Jesus' name. And he says, this will happen in order to test you to test you. Why, why should I be going through this test? Why doesn't God actually hold back? Why does he allow me to go through struggles? And maybe it's not just persecution, but the, the hard times of life. Why does God allow those to go on? And yet, there's something great about the smelting. 
is that when that has happened, when you've gone and you've put that fire to it, you actually get something that's a value out of it. Amen. Well, what a value comes out of a fiery trial? Well, when that happens, your character is being tested. Amen. When that happens, you're being tested as to whether you are actually in Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, I have good news for you. You're going to stand. In the book just before this, the book of James that was written by Jesus' half-brother, James says this, Count it all joy, he says in James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God doesn't want you to be lacking in anything. He doesn't, he doesn't want to create a new creature. He doesn't want to do all the work that he's done in you through Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and then set you here. And at the end of the time, you look incomplete. Have you ever started a project? Maybe your husband, your wife, or your brother, or your sister, they got you into a project and you begin on it. You've gone part way. Then you look at the project and it's not done. You're like, why did we start this? Right? Amen. You never want to start a project and, and get involved in it just to have it halfway done. And God didn't want that in you either. He started on you. And so part of the process of bringing you into the full and completeness of what he's wanted in you is to continue to allow you to go through times of trial and testing. And that's why James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy that you're going through these things. Because what it's going to produce in you is steadfastness. Your, your character is going to be tested. You're going to grow. You're going to be coming to this place of being complete. And being formed into who God intended you to be. Back to 1 Peter. That's where he goes. This joy thing. It seems, seems odd that would be part of it. But Peter says it too in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this is a, a, a theme that's going on. You know, I don't know about you, but when I suffer, my human default is to complain. Amen. Anybody else have that problem? Amen. Something comes about you and it's just kicking stones in the path. Why, why me? Well, God says why you. You're a Christian. He has something to, to, to do in you. And for the Christian, when suffering comes our way, whether persecution or hard times, whatever the circumstance, when it comes our way, it says, you shouldn't get down and complain. You shouldn't grumble. You should actually, I don't know, they would say, turn that frown upside down, right? You should rejoice. Amen. It doesn't seem like a time to rejoice, but you should rejoice because God is using those circumstances to firm you up. And to get you ready for whatever's coming down there. Do you think Job was ready for what came his way? Be he wouldn't have been ready had he already not gone through some type of trials to get him steadfast and full of character ready to go through that trial. And yet that what he was going through was preparing him for what was next. And so rejoice. Because you're suffering for the name of Jesus. And if you're suffering, that one says rejoice because if you're suffering in this stuff, that means you will also suffer when he returns in his glory. You, you, you will rejoice because you get to share everything in Christ, not only his sufferings, but also what's to come. And that's eternal life. That is, that is forever goodness. So Amen. rejoice because Amen. if you've got one, you've also got the other. It says in verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let him what name? God says, if, if you come to Christ, don't go out the door after the preachers got done preaching. You sang the last hymn, you even came out, and then go out the door and start murdering people, start meddling around, getting the things you're not supposed to, doing the things of the world, evildoer. Don't go do that things, and then when suffering comes as a result of those, say, well, God told me suffering would come. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying as a result of you being a Christian, Suffering for that name. Because you bear that name. Do you know that Christians weren't always called Christians? When the church started, they were actually called uh, a cult. They were called a sect. They had a little nickname called The Way, a capital W, The Way. They weren't called Christians later until this church began to go. And people, like we talked about, had to leave their homes. And so the gospel began to spread. And it got to this town that wasn't even in Israel. It wasn't even a Jewish town. It was a Syrian town, I believe. And it was called Antioch. And when the good news came there, different people came to Christ. They weren't even Jews. And so you had this mishmash of a church that was trying to understand what God was doing. And yet they all believed and trusted in Jesus. And the people around them in Antioch, Antioch was known for being people who talked bad about other people. And they called them names. And so they saw these Christians. And here were people who were talking about a, a, a homeless man who died. He'd come down from heaven and he died. And then he rose again. It was a crazy story. And so they started making fun of him. And nowadays, as, as they might come up with bad names on the playground. I don't know what the common names are now on the playground. When somebody calls you a bad name. And in Antioch, in order to, to persecute the Christians, in order to mock them, you know what they called them? Christians. What it meant was, you little Christs, you little scummy Christ wannabes, you think you're all good because you got that little Christ in your heart. And they begin to mock them like, Christians, Christians, Christians. You know, Christians? You believe this mess about a virgin giving birth? You believe that all about... About Easter, he came back from the dead. Christians. And you know what the believers in Antioch did? Yeah, we're Christians. They took that name on. They said, you know what? That's true. Christ does live on us. We, we do believe that amazing story. It's so amazing that we have been changed and we now bear that name. And so when you take the name of Christian, it's Christ. You bear his name. You, you were saying, I'm a Christian. I bear his name. And so you will suffer for that name. But you will also live in that name. Man. And he said that right there. He said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He says, if you're a Christian, don't go hide. If you're a Christian, don't go complaining about Christ. If you're a Christian, live Christian. Live for that name. Whatever you're going through, it's worth steadfast. That name is so good. You know the name of Christ? That's what they healed people with in the early days. And it's still true today. 
at the beginning, they would heal people in the name of Jesus Christ, being healed. And the leader said, stop preaching in that name. And now we wear that name as Christians, no longer a mockery. And it's a title we wear with pride. Unfortunately, a lot of times that's only when things are good. Amen. We are to wear that name all the time. You know that Christ wore that name his whole life? Not just when times were good. Not when just there was food on the table at the holiday, last supper. But on that cross, he wore that name too. When he Amen. suffered, he wore that name. Do you wear Amen. that name when you suffer? That's what Jesus did. We get to do the same thing. It says this. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That first part, <laughs> that's a little uh, frightening to me. Because <laughs> it, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. See, how many of you have prayed for a revival in our country? Have, have you looked at our, I hear that all the time in our church, and I hear it all the time in our, in our little conversations. Well, if our country could just get back to being godly, if we could just get back to being Christian again. And we hear the amens. And, and here's the thing about that prayer. If we say, Lord, we are praying for revival, we are praying for our nation to turn its eyes again towards you, and then we sit there and we look outside the windows and we're waiting for God to smite the unchristian, and we're waiting for him to come down and pummel the, 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 the political leaders who will change the course, and we're, we're waiting him for him to get all those people that we've nicknamed into other segments of our society that are getting all wrong, and we're waiting for that to be where the change happens, we've got it all wrong. This says it's time for the judgment of God to start where? The house of God. If there is ever to be revival, if there is ever to be a change in our country, if there's ever to be a change in our family, you know who it starts with? The Christian. Amen. It starts in the household of God. That's why there's a good reason we're having revival tonight. Because revival has to start among the family of God. He has to begin to revive us again. He has to begin to revive Call us to remember that we are Christians and we've been bought with a price and now we live for him and we go on and we share his name with others no matter what kind of antagonism comes our way. That means no matter what's going on in our relationships that it's all for Jesus. But it has to start with us. Amen. But you know what? It may start with us but it will complete its course to everybody. The judgment of God will begin with the household of God and thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ because as he does a work in us to complete us, he's not going to destroy us. Amen. He's going to bring us and keep making us into what he committed to. But for those who have not received Jesus, that's a bad thing. If we are scarcely saved, he said, what's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner? The scripture's clear. Jesus will come back and he'll bring his own sheep to himself and the others are going to suffer. Jesus says you can suffer temporarily now. Or you can suffer long term later. What is it? But it's going to start with us. And let him do that work. Let him allow what's going on and the suffering that's coming to be at work in you.
because it's good. He's doing something in you. And he finishes it up with this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Trust him. It says here that he was a faithful creator, that he, he created you, but now he's at work in you. And so if you trust that he made you, trust that he's also forming you into who he wants you to be. And it's going to take that hot fire, and it's going to take some pounding to get to where he wants you to be. As I mentioned for spring break, our family took a few days up in Williamsburg. Uh, it's a fascinating place if you haven't had a chance to go to, to, to there and to Jamestown and Yorktown, some of these places where our, our, our nation began, where people may be seeking religious freedoms and different things, they, they, they had come to that place. And, and it was really neat to go to those museums because they're living museums. They've got people who are dressed up and, and, and working like they would have worked back then. And so you have, you have people who are shop owners, and you could go in and you could talk to them. You had people who were working in the, the governor's palace, and they were all dressed up, and everything set like it would have been. And, and one of my favorites was we... We went into this little gated area and then went around this old house in Williamsburg. We went around the back and we went inside. It was hot in there. And there was a blacksmith operating. And, and, and there was one guy answering questions. He was filthy and his hands were dirty and they'd been at work. You know, he'd been working. He was stopping answering questions for people. There was a guy in back of him that was dressed in his blacksmith garment. And he was back there and they had this, this little pile of coals. And on the outside, it was black, but that man in the middle, it was burning hot. And he would take and he would grab this piece of, I guess it was iron, I didn't ask, but he would take iron and he would put it into the bottom of those holes, into the hottest part of that, that fire. But you know what? He said that fire wasn't hot enough. That in order to get that iron to be where it needed to be, to, to, to be able to use it and form it, it had to get it hotter. So the guy had this thing above his head that he would just pull down. It looked like a big doorbell from the Adams family. You remember that one? <laughs> so here he's pulling on that. But what's happening was this big billows, this huge thing was just blowing. And it would blow and it would blow this air into the bottom of those coals. And you would just see it as he pulled that big cord and the billows blew that that, that fire went from a, a hot orange into almost a bright white hot. And he had that piece of iron there and he'd pull that billow and he'd get that thing as hot as he could get it. And he'd pull that iron out of it and it was just glowing hot on the end. I mean, it was, it, was, it was just immense with heat and you could feel it when it's blowing off of there. And it was like, whoo, how could you work in this all day? And it's, it, was, it wasn't a hot day even. And he takes that thing over to a hard anvil and he lays it on that anvil and then he grabs up another... Uh, uh, little little sledgehammer thing. I don't know what you call it. Mallet. Anybody know? Anyway, he takes that little hammer and he begins to whack. And when you whack it, sparks psh, fly off that thing. And it wasn't done. He'd whack it again. Bing, 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 bing. And you could see him taking that hot piece of metal and by, by getting it hot and then hitting it with force, you could see it slowly begin to take shape. Because when he first grabbed that piece of iron, that's, that's not what he needed to use. You know what he needed? A nail. The dude needed a nail. So what was he going to do? He had to fashion a nail. He had to get it really hot. And then he had to bring it over to the anvil. And he had to smash it with his hammer. And he was working and working it. And you know what? After a while, the iron would lose its heat. 
And so he'd take it off the anvil and he'd stick it back into the fire. And he'd pull the billows and he'd get it hot again. And when it was hot enough, he'd bring it over the anvil and smack it some more. And pretty soon he took it over this one thing that crimped it and broke it off and he'd stick it in something else and slam it again. And he, he had made the head on the nail and then finally it was done. He'd pop it off and there it was on the floor. So they could be used. See, the nail wasn't ready yet. It, had, didn't, it needed fire applied to it. It needed force applied to it. It was in the hands of a creator. And you know what God does to you? He takes you and you're, 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 you're a piece of iron over here on the pile. He says, I have, I have a good use for you. I need you for something. And he pulls you off the pile. And you know what? He doesn't just take you to the work site and then pound you into the floor. What's he got to do? He lets you go through the fire. Amen. He gets you hot, and then he pulls you out, and he pounds on you a little bit. And is that comfortable? No, none of us really enjoy it. But he says to rejoice in it. Why? Because you're a creator. You've got to trust him. He's at work on you. He's going to take you on. He's going he's to allow things to beat on you a little bit. He's going he's to put you under that pressure. Why? Because he has an idea of what you need to be. He has an idea of how he's going to use you. And he needs to keep putting you in the fire and bring you out and pound you until you're at the place where you are what he intended you to be. Amen. For whatever that task and purpose is at this time. And you might end up being a common nail. Or maybe he's going to work on you and you're going to be the next Billy or Judy King. Or you're going to be the next school teacher who goes in and, and in the midst of teaching arithmetic, you're also going to share Jesus with a kid who has a terrible home life. And he's going to work on you to get you to that place in order to do the work of the gospel. And he's going to complete that work on you. Why am I going through what I'm going through? Because he's not done with you. He's working on you. So rejoice, friend. If it's hard, it's part of how you know that the Lord loves you. Amen. You know what Paul told Timothy? Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you bear the name of Christian, it's not a matter of if, it's just when. Amen. Now I'll tell you what. As much as I hope that our country and things turn around, I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I think what we're seeing is a time is coming where right now we stand in a building and have freedom to open our Bible and preach as we want to. But I believe there could be a day coming when freedoms like that are taken away and there's a, a full-on persecution coming our way. And the question is, are you a nail that's ready to be steadfast and set? Or are you satisfied as a piece of iron just laying over on the pile? If you're satisfied with that, that's today. But if you're dissatisfied with that, well, you're ready to get yourself put in that fire. Because he's about to get to work on you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And we don't understand all your ways and all the ins and outs of your wisdom. But Lord, we do know this. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And so, Lord, we know that you loved us when we came to faith. But, Lord, we know that you love us as you continue to grow our faith. And that you have said that part of that way of growing us is allowing us to go through trials. 
to be tested, to know that our faith is true then and that we would grow in steadfastness and character, a perseverance and endurance to the Lord when even more dire times come, maybe as persecution does come our way, Lord, that we would be ready, not because of our own strength, but because we are in the hands of our Creator and we've been made strong in Jesus. And so, Lord, this morning, if we claim faith, I pray that you would help us to wear the name of Christian. And, Lord, if anybody should persecute us, if anybody should mock us, Lord, we pray that we would just wear that with, with joy. And that you would give us those opportunities amidst the persecution to also share the good news of Jesus. For we know that even as Jesus was on the cross, that he was still at work to save a thief. Who was hanging from nails just as Jesus was. And so Lord, we pray that in the midst of trials, we too would not be ashamed, but that we would keep it work for the gospel. Continue to save us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.